Boy, I missed everyone last week. I had a cold. It knocked me out of commission for a, a few days. I'm feeling much, much better now. So it's, it's good to be back. We're going to be uh, in Acts where we should have been last week. We're in Acts chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, we'll be in verses 1 through 7. And as uh, Amy mentioned, there's, there's a logistical problem in, uh, in this passage. There's some structure that is needed. So I, I thought I'd share a quick illustration about how the right structure can really make a big difference. There was, and maybe you heard this story. Uh, it happened in the pandemic. There was a small town uh, in uh, South Carolina that uh, they were getting ready for the, the first rollout of the vaccine. You remember that, that the first doses went to people that more, were more susceptible. So elderly people, people that were high risk for whatever reason. So uh, they were getting ready, and they, they'd never done this before, and they're figuring out, how do we, how do, we do this? So they decided on like a, a drive-up, kind of drive-through vaccine uh, clinic, I guess. Um, so they organized for weeks and weeks and weeks trying to figure out, how do we do this? Because we want to we wanna get it to anyone that, that wants it. Um, and, and within, uh, well, they were hoping it would take like maybe 20, 30, maybe 40 minutes to go through the line. And uh, that first day, it was taking hours upon hours. Like it was just this hot mess. And it makes sense, though. They'd never, they'd never done anything like this before. If I was to organize something like this. It would be absolutely horrible. It'd be worse than what they did. Well, the mayor heard in this little town, he got word, he came out, he's looking, he's just like, oh man, what do we do? We don't know what we're doing. We need an expert in, in getting cars through a line. So what did he do? Well, he called up uh, the manager of the local Chick-fil-A, right? <laughs> and it's... <laughs> You cannot make this up. <laughs> so seriously, the, the manager comes out and really quickly diagnoses the problem. And he comes up with a new plan, a new, new organization, new flow, switched some things around, told the, you know, the people that were actually in charge, like, hey, you need this many people here. You need this many people at the check-in. Whatever all the positions were, got them trained up, gave them their assignment. And no joke, like within a day, they were, they were rolling. And that line that was taking hours was down to 15 minutes. It was just unbelievable. So go support Chick-fil-A, I guess. Um, no, but, but a little structure Right, with the right people, the, the, right, the right roles in the right places, it makes a big, big difference. So let's read our passage. This is uh, Acts chapter 6, verse 1. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and uh, Prochorus, and uh, Nicanor, and uh, Timon, and Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. And these they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase. The number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. A great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So there's this problem in the church, and we'll get to that in a moment. 
And what's not explicitly stated here, but I, I think it's true, is that this is a scheme, this is an attack from the devil, right? And we've seen multiple attacks uh, by the enemy at this early church, right? They faced persecution from the religious leaders, right? Some of them endured beatings. They, uh, they were questioned before the council in this effort to intimidate them, right? To try and get them to stop speaking about Jesus. They arrested them, but what did the church do? Uh, they, they continued to proclaim the risen Christ and the church continued to multiply. Then, uh, a few weeks ago, we read about an attack within the church, the hypocrisy of Ananias and Sapphira, and now we see another internal issue. But with each attempt so far, what has happened with the church, instead of shrinking, it grows, right? Instead of slowing it down, it grows. So here's another opportunity for the church to either grow or, or to be fractured. And the enemy just loves to divide the church, right? And it can be over really important issues like doctrine or uh, still important issues, but, but less important, maybe like ministry strategy uh, or how someone uh, is treated or, or it can get to really dumb things actually, like people arguing about the new color of the uh, new kitchen tile. In the, in the church kitchen, like churches have separated over really, really dumb things, right? So if harvest is your home, you need to pray for this church. You need to pray for the growth of every person in this church, that we would grow in Christ-likeness, that we would grow in living out this mission that's been given to the church to make disciples everywhere. And we need to pray that our energy, our desires, our passions, our resources would all go towards that. So we see four uh, great things that the apostles did here. Um, we, we see that they listened to the, the people, the members of this church. They acknowledged that there was a problem. Then the, the third thing is they multiplied ministry partners. And by that, I just mean they invited others into ministry. They shared the work of ministry. And then lastly, they kept focused on their calling. They knew their priorities as apostles, and they stayed within those. So in verse 1, we, we find out that there is a complaint. And when you hear complaint, I don't know what it does to your mind in, in, in the Bible, but it takes me back to Israel. And, and leaving Egypt and being in the wilderness and this complaining, this grumbling that just happened over and over again against Moses, against God. And we, when we see complaining, or this word can also be grumbling in Scripture, it's not put in a good light, right? It's never highlighted as, hey, God's people live this way. This is good for you. And we, we see it talked about uh, in the New Testament as well. Uh, Paul, multiple times, uh, tells us not to complain. In Philippians 2, he says, do everything without, without grumbling, without disputing. But this doesn't mean that churches don't talk about what isn't working, right? Within the ministries of the church, there are good God-honoring ways that we need to bring constructive criticism uh, to churches, to ministries in the church. Because if we don't, we won't grow, or, or our growth will be stunted or limited. Um, but there are also ways that, that aren't so helpful, ways that are uh, a little more destructive. And I won't dive into all those. I just think through Scripture how we should come to one another with, with feedback. Um, 
Hebrews verse, uh, chapter 13. This won't be up on the screen, but this talks about how, how members of the church uh, live with and under their leaders. It says, obey your leaders, submit to them, for they're keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. And then it says, let them do this with joy and not groaning. Or another translation says, basically, don't be a burden to them. Right? We give constructive feedback, but we do it with tact. We do it with grace. Right? Like I don't, I don't want a parent like going back to a Sunday school teacher who, who's there like trying to corral your kids and teach them about Jesus, and, and you just blast them and, and unload on them. Like the receiver needs to know that this feedback is, is out of love, out of love for Christ, out of love for them, out of love for you know whatever the ministry is. It, it's it's about growing God's kingdom. And certainly, when we do give feedback to one another, man, hopefully we're having other conversations too. Like we're not just delivering feedback to people. I have a friend uh, at a church. Uh, he, he's gifted. He, oh, he's kind of, he's a jack of all trades. I mean, it's just like you, you can just drop him in any ministry and it feels like he would, he would do well, or at least really quickly he'd figure out where he would do well. But part of that is he has a really uh, analytical mind. And always, since he came to know Christ, he just had this genuine desire to see ministries flourish, right? He wants the church to be effective for the kingdom. But as a less mature believer, he wasn't so great at giving feedback. I mean, he was giving a lot. Like, he's just doling it out left and right. Um, and I'm sure certain ministry leaders kind of had like this feedback PTSD whenever he would walk down the hall. But fast forward years later, he's matured in Christ. He's grown. He, he, he comes to understand um, better how to deliver this feedback and how to live at peace with brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and he works really hard at not just giving feedback, but he works really hard at being an encourager. And I don't mean like when you have to give feedback, so you say like two positive things first to soften the blow. Like, no, he genuinely wants to be an encourager, an encourager to the body of Christ. So he regularly is just texting people, calling people that are doing different things in his church in, in different kind of ministry positions so he can encourage them. He takes them out to lunch or, or to coffee because he just wants to, uh, he wants to help encourage people in the things that they are good at in, in the body, right? The ways that God has gifted them instead of only delivering ways that we, we need to improve. Because every ministry leader messes up, right? Like if, if you haven't messed up in ministry, if you haven't made mistakes, it's because you haven't been in ministry long enough. Uh, Jonathan Edwards, I don't know if everybody knows of him. Everybody should. He's, he's probably the, the greatest, actually not probably, I don't think it's even arguable. He's the greatest American theologian, uh, great pastor. Um, pastored the same church for 23 years and they kicked him out. <laughs> they voted Jonathan Edwards out. Um, and and there's, a, there's a whole long story, and he did make some uh, mistakes uh, for sure. Uh, but, but man, every, every ministry leader makes, makes mistakes. So, so to set the stage here, remember this church has gone through uh, just explosive growth. Like we could estimate on the low end, there's maybe 10,000 believers at this point. But on the high end, I don't think it's a stretch to say that there could have been as many as 20,000 members of this church. And there's a group of widows that, that aren't receiving the care that they need. These are the, the Hellenists, the Greek-speaking Jews. And, and, and for a widow back then, if they didn't have family, 
um, to support them. They really had no chance in life, right? It was, a, it was a different time, a different culture. It would be nearly impossible for a widow to support herself without a family. So for these widows um, here, these are widows that didn't have the family. They were part of the church, and the church had been stepping up and saying, we are going to help you live in life, right? We're going to help get you what you need. This is survival-type things that they're providing. So some of the Hellenists, the Greek-speaking widows, were getting neglected. And and the the culturally Hebrew Jews, they were still getting the distribution that, that was... Uh, that was promised to them. So the Hellenists are definitely the, the minority in this church. Now, we don't know what was, why this was happening, right? Could it have been purposeful? Maybe. Um, maybe it was an unintentional oversight. Uh, maybe they were just running out uh, of the food. They didn't organize it well enough to distribute it evenly. We don't know. Luke doesn't tell us exactly, but there's this distinction between these two groups of widows and the people in the church, or at least some people in the church, the Hellenists, are noticing it, and, and, and this is a problem. And this is a good reminder to us that we uh, naturally gravitate, we want to be around, we favor people that we are like. Right? Maybe it's personality. Uh, maybe it's life experiences. Uh, maybe it's cultural. Maybe it's uh, ethnicity. Maybe it's the way we think about uh, politics. Or maybe, um, maybe it's the way we think about certain uh, passages in Scripture or, or, or certain doctrines. But we like people like us because if we're all honest, we're pretty into us. And the church isn't to be that way, right? Christ didn't die to save one type of person. He died to save people from every background, every personality type, every ethnicity, every socioeconomic. You know, the church this side of heaven will never perfectly reflect that, but it should reflect it to the degree that we can. So here in Acts 6, there's clearly tension between these two groups. Right? Messiness happens in the life of any church family. And, and sometimes those messes are so small, they're like, ah, we just kind of walk around it. But sometimes those messes can be so big that, that you can find yourself thinking, man, can I even be a part of this church? And, and today the reality is that, man, we can all hop in a car and go find another church. Right? We could drive five minutes away, probably, find a good church, 10 minutes, 20 minutes. We're all pretty close to finding, being able to find a, another church that we prefer, and that's happened a ton in the pandemic. Churches have lost anywhere from 25 to 40, almost 50% of their body. And, and hopefully, a lot of those people are ending up in new churches. I know that's been the case for us. Um, so I, I want to just get on a soapbox for a moment and tell you, when you leave a church, do your best to leave at peace with them, right? And, and maybe that's not always possible, I'm sure, um, but, but do your best. And part of that means having a conversation, right, with the leaders of that church. And, and even, if it's, even if it's too awkward for you to really explain why you're leaving, at least tell them that, that, that you're leaving, you're going to a new place. But, but I would encourage you, be gracious, be honest. Don't go out guns a-blazing, but use wisdom and discernment right, with what is helpful to share and and what maybe isn't helpful. I know from the standpoint of of leadership, 
right, someone's gone for a while. I, I second guess myself, and I'm like, man, I need to call them up. But I, I get in my own head, and I'm like, are they going to think that we're just super legalistic and that we're too nosy in their lives when we realize they haven't been around for a while? But, but the worst, worse than that would be that, that someone's gone, and they feel like no one even noticed. No one from the church even cared. So if you've left a church and you didn't have a conversation, I'd encourage you, have a conversation with them. Go through that um, praying uh, about how to do that in a way that honors the Lord. And, and, and you do, you got to decide this between the Lord. I'm telling you, you should do it. You need to take this to the Lord, right? I think it's Psalm 139. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way. So off my soapbox, uh, the point was church is messy and, and we deal with difficulties. So back to Acts here. Someone notices, they, they complain, and the leadership does a great thing. The first thing they do is they listen. Right? And listening is, is hard, um, especially when it's about something that you could be doing better. I, I don't know if you ever find yourself just not wanting to listen, but sometimes that's me, right? In my pride, especially, probably specifically in insecurity, in pain, sometimes I don't want to listen. I don't know if you've ever gotten constructive feedback and before they've even really gotten it all out, you find yourself defending what you did and why you did it and all the reasons that you have for that. It is hard not to do that. And if that's you, I'd encourage you next time, bite your tongue. Don't give an explanation, right? Even if you're totally right, just, just hear them out and take it in. It's hard to listen and take in what you have heard and, and really evaluate what is true because what we tend to do is we wait for that one piece of info that's wrong, that one thing that they totally got wrong. We grab onto that and then throw everything out when really we should be doing the opposite. We should be sifting through through the details that may not be so right, but but the, the one or two nuggets, the gems that, that are right on and, and learn from those. So the apostles listened, right? Maybe everything inside them said, no, this isn't our fault right, such and such, they were in charge of this, or, or, or maybe they just knew right away that this complaint was spot on. But in any type of ministry, a, a critical piece of leading and serving is listening, right? Obviously, every critique isn't right, but our leaders listening. The next thing that they did well is they acknowledged the problem, right? They owned it. They didn't make excuses. They didn't blame shift. They didn't say, we don't have time to deal with this. They acknowledged there's an issue here. We've dropped the ball, and we need to help these widows in our church. Um, verse 2, they get the whole church together. They have this big family meeting, and, and I'm guessing there was some tension walking into that meeting, right? Maybe some people came uh, just with ammo loaded, ready to go. But the apostles, they, they tell them, hey, there's a problem, and, and we need to take care of it. And part of the problem is that, that we, the apostles, are, are to preach the word. Right? We, we don't have time to serve these tables. They, they, they had a, a job given to them to preach the word. And it didn't mean that they didn't serve. Right? We think back to John. Um, we, we read in John that not, not that long before this, Jesus had washed their feet, right? He taught them about serving. There's no doubt that the apostles served in ways that probably shocked people. They couldn't believe that, that the apostles, those who'd been with Jesus, would, would stoop and do something so low. But here we see that they knew their roles. They knew their priorities. And when I was younger, I read this as the apostles were too good for that. But that's really not what is happening here. They, they see the need is real. They know the job that God has given them. And they recognize that everyone has limitations, 
right? We all have limitations, not even just in our giftings, but, but just in the time, in the resources that we have. And the Holy Spirit had gifted them in certain ways, um, and, and this meant that they weren't able to also serve the widows. They had to focus on preaching and prayer. And it's key that in any church that the body, the members of the church, like Amy read earlier, that we know our gifts and how they fit into gospel ministry in the church. The better we know our gifts and are serving, the more we actually free one another up like we see here to do what God has created us to do, to be a part of the gospel work that God has called us to. And I mentioned this church was big. There's thousands of people that the apostles are responsible for. So they had to be organized. And, and we'll see in a moment that they need to grow in their organization the more a church grows, the more, uh, the more organized it needs to be, right? When, when a church is small uh, or, or like when a club is small for a young life, there's, there's less organization that's needed. But as more kids start coming, there's more structure that's needed to make sure that kids coming to club don't fall through the cracks or, or whatever's going on in, in, in a church ministry that, that it doesn't, it, things don't get missed because we're not organized enough. I love, uh, I love it when God does organic things in a church, right? When, when someone sees something, God puts it on someone's heart, and, and they start something, and, and then pretty soon this thing has life, and it's growing. I think of um, the prayer study that Priscilla started uh, earlier this year. Um, she just, on her own, uh, I think it was around New Year's, was really thinking, I need to grow in prayer, and the more she thought and prayed about it, she's like, I bet other people need this too. And, and it'd be better if, if I was doing this with other people. So she started emailing out a group of people and we announced it on a couple of Sundays. And, and then this, this little group formed and, and they've met you know, a couple of times and they're, they're studying prayer, they're discussing prayer. I, I assume they're praying as well. That'd be ironic if they weren't, but I trust they are. Um, anyways, and this is, a, this is a great thing that, that God's used Priscilla to start in our church. Organic is, is great. And the more we grow, the more structure is needed, right? Even little organizational tools like a, a church calendar are helpful, right? We've got, we've got a church calendar that you can access on our website, but we have a you know, big printed out one that's on the wall that we can write on as well. And, and as a staff and as leaders, we, we get together and we try and project out and, and that's, that's helpful so that we can think through our year. Um, but it didn't take long for us to realize that, that man, we needed, we needed more structure to it. So we, uh, we I had nothing to do with it. Alyssa made this building use form. Uh, right, so that when people want to come use our, our building or our property for something, like we we know that we're able to give them what they need and support them in that. Right, so if if uh, if someone uh, if there's a memorial service that needs to happen, right, the building use form gets filled out. If the middle school girls uh, want to do an, uh, an event. Building use form gets filled out. If, if Young Life calls us up and says, hey, can we use your field? Building use form gets filled out. And it's this small tool that just helps us make sure that we've got the rooms available. We've got uh, the things they need available. If it's, if it's tech, we've got the volunteers that know how to run that technology. We know who's opening the building, who's closing the building, who's cleaning up the building. And, and it just helps us be more effective in ministry. And there have been times where that form hasn't been filled out. And it ends up not being a big deal, right? Maybe nobody else was trying to use the building on that day. But, but there's other times um, that, that it creates problems. One time someone called me up and said, hey, Greg, can I use the field uh, like on such and such a day? It was like a Tuesday. Like nobody uses the field on a Tuesday. Yes, go use it, right? I'm a nice guy. Do that. Well, I didn't fill out a form. 
And that happened to literally be the one Tuesday of the year that someone else wanted to use that stupid field, right? So it caused this problem that I created. So don't even ask me if you can use the building. Just kidding. No, ask me about the form, and I'll gladly give that to you. But anyway, churches, uh, we can get stuck. A lot of churches get stuck in this, like, 75-person to 125-person range, right? Maybe they'll grow a little bit beyond that. Maybe they'll get up to 150 or 175, but, but then they'll, they'll probably come back down to that. And the reason is that that's about the number that one pastor can handle, right? He can reasonably know the names of that many people and, and, and have some connection, keep up, and know how to pray and who needs to be visited and, and all those things. But, but beyond that, it's hard. They're, 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 what's often needed is, is more structure. There's a book it's been out for several years now. It's called The Trellis and the Vine. It's a great book on uh, church discipleship and church structure. So the metaphor is that uh, discipleship is, is the vine, right? Uh, and the vine is, is what we, that's what we care about, is people growing in Christ, being connected to Christ. But a vine to be healthy needs a trellis, right? It needs this structure to help it grow. And when I say trellis, I don't know if everybody knows what I mean. Just think of like a, a, like a lattice kind of thing that, that a vine could be uh, woven into and, and it grows up and, uh, and it grows the way it's supposed to. So we have um, in our yard, we have a star jasmine plant. I love this plant, um, but it's a plant that has to have a trellis. So years ago, I, I planted it and then I bought the trellis. I, I put it in, I wove it in there and this thing is just taken off and I love it. it in the spring when it flowers, it is so fragrant, the most fragrant uh, plant that we have. But every year or two, uh, this thing's doing so well as it's on this trellis that it actually, it, it grows to the point that the trellis, uh, the supports in the ground are no longer in the ground because this thing is, is doing what it should and it falls over. And I've got to go out and I've got to disconnect the supports and then hammer them back in and, and then get the trellis and like try and screw it back in there. And, you know, in another year or two, I'll have to do that same thing. But it, it needs that trellis. And when it has that trellis, it grows like it's supposed to. Now, maybe, though, you're, you're in the body and you're like, man, I don't like trellis work. I don't, I don't like organization. Uh, I don't like systems, right? Spreadsheets maybe make you a little queasy. You, you want to get your hands in the soil. You want to get dirty. You want to do the vine work. You want to prune. You want to fertilize. You want to mend the soil. Others, though, man, love a good spreadsheet. They love flow charts. They love not just thinking about the goal, but all the steps that are necessary, all the training that needs to happen. Well, praise God, because the church needs both. We need people that are doing both. The church needs the vine work and the trellis work in tandem. So the next thing that the apostles did well, uh, they gathered everybody together, and what they did is they multiplied ministry partners. They invited other people into the gospel work that needed to happen. And it's interesting to me, the apostles, they gather the church, and in verse 3 here, they, they gather the church, they give the plan, but they don't, they don't choose the people who are going to do the job, right? They give the criteria, and they say, you choose, Right? You, you notice this issue. Now you get to be able to be a part of the solution. And I think that's a good, that's a good rule for us. Right? If we're going to bring up issues, we should be willing to be a part of the solution. And maybe we're not a direct part, but we're going to support that. Um, for leaders, this, this means that uh, we've got to be willing to give up control. 
right? And that's what we see from the apostles here. Leaders have to be willing to give up at least some control, if not a significant amount of control, even if that means that the person you're asking is gonna do it different than you did it, right? Even if it means that, that they make mistakes, because they will, they'll make mistakes as they learn along the way, right? It's one thing to talk theory about ministry, to read a blog, read a book, go, go get a certificate. It's another thing to get your hands dirty, to get in the thick of ministry. So these seven men were told, they were to have solid reputation, right? Full of the spirit, full of wisdom. For what role? To serve tables, right? And that probably catches us all off guard, right? That, that that's the requirement for these guys to be able to serve these widows. That feels maybe like a high bar. And that's because, or at least one reason I think, is because we think that there are certain tasks in life that we really don't need God for. Right, that we really can just do this on our own. We're foolish to think that any type of ministry can be done on our own. Right? It doesn't matter what we're doing. We ought to be doing it under the Lord, empowered by the Spirit. Right? We can't fall into this trap of, oh, I know how to do this. I've done this a hundred times, or I'm really good at this. No, we need God. And the result of these, uh, these men coming to serve in this way, it freed up the apostles to preach and pray. Um, and we would expect that from these guys that had been with Jesus commissioned specifically to be the apostles of the church. They'd been given a specific task, a specific job. And, and when a church has a lot of people doing their jobs, right, working within their gifts, their roles that God has given them to do, it's a beautiful thing. My first uh, real job was in a, a restaurant. It's, it's no longer in Vancouver, it's called Chart House. It was on the water. Uh, I, I had the glorious position of a dishwasher. Um, uh, I worked back in what we called the dish pit. And, and we had all kinds of people that worked in the restaurant, right? I was, I was the bottom of the totem pole. Um, but we had, we had busters, right, that cleared tables. We had servers. We had a, a couple people that, uh, that replenished the salad bar. We had line cooks. We had a head chef. We had prep cooks and pantry cooks. And I don't know, we had hostesses and, and managers. Um, and, and I loved that job. Uh, it, was, it was really fun. And, and what I loved most, like I, I loved it when there was a night, a Friday or a Saturday, we just had so many people coming into the restaurant and, and we were just slammed with work. I mean, just working our tails off the whole night. I loved it because when we were doing our jobs, man, we were, we were just this, this team. Right, and pumping out food, serving people, getting getting tables cleared. It, it was awesome. So I remember when I first started in the dish pit, there were these two bus boys, and they were like, they should have been called ninjas. I mean, they just were so fast at unloading their trays, and they'd unload them into these specific tubs so that we could wash uh, things as, as quickly as possible. They helped keep us organized. But these guys, like, it was a competition for them. Every time they got back there, they're just unloading as fast as they could. So I did that job for a few months, and then I got the promotion to the salad bar. It was very glorious. And the guy, my first, my first night, the guy training me was super into the salad bar. Like it weirded me out at first. Like, like dude, you know this is salad, right? Um, but I caught the bug. It was weird. 
Um, like he was teaching me like proper knife technique and I got super into like my knife skills. Um, he taught me how to make the Caesar salad, which I geeked out over. But I, I really, I took organizing my salad bar, my salad bar, the salad bar that I did not own. Um, I took organizing it so seriously. Like when I'd see people spill like some cheddar cheese into the ice, I'm losing my mind until they got out of there so I could go clean it up and like replenish the ice and, and make it better. But like, that was my part, right, in the restaurant. The line cooks worked hard. The, the hostesses, they did their thing. The waiters, the waitresses. And, and man, when we got done with a busy night, like we're high-fiving each other. Like, we're like, man, we served so many people. It was, it was incredible. And then you're counting your tips, too, and that helped. But, um, man, it was, it was great. Maybe you experienced something like that, like on a sports team. Uh, or maybe, uh, maybe you're in band or choir uh, back in school. Or, or maybe it's a team at work that you've just been together for years now and, and you've weathered some storms and uh, you've been through some hard projects and, and you just kind of know, you've streamlined your roles. And, and once you get rolling, it just feels like nothing can stop you. But I wonder, have you ever experienced that in your church? Have you ever experienced that in a part of ministry that you helped with? Because God has designed and, and he's gifted the members of the church to work way better than that restaurant staff that I was on. So the first question is, are you in the life of the church? Like, do you have relationships with people in the church that have some depth? Or, or do you just kind of come every week or, or maybe every other week? And the next question is, are you serving? And by the way, in Easter weekend, we had so many people serve. It was incredible. Uh, Thursday, um, people were coming in and out all day helping Matt get set up for Good Fridays. He transformed the, the spaces in this room. And, and our musicians, man, they put in so much work for Good Friday, for Sunday. Our Easter egg hunt, it was so great to have our Easter egg hunt. Again, just have people in the community back out here. We, we didn't know how it would go, so we, we asked people to come hide eggs at 8.45, and, and the hunt didn't start till 10. We could have started at 9.15. I mean, we had so many people. People that that helped out. So anyway, are you? Well, thank you. And um, man, are we are we contributing? Like, are, are we regularly a part of gospel work? And maybe it's serving students. Maybe it's on a, a music team. Maybe it's faithfully praying for missionaries. I know several of you uh, picked up those those prayer guides that, that we have during Ramadan for Muslims, and, and you've just been you've been praying. Um, man, next week we've got a a, a work party outside. Uh, we got lots of just work to do around the property, even some stuff inside. Um, we'll, we'll tell you more about that later, but that's, that's a way you could join us. It, it, it could be as simple as, uh, you know, we need people that, f that fold the bulletins. I don't know if uh, Marie and Vicky are here, but Marie and Vicky fold our bulletins each and every, there they are. They have no idea I'm saying this, sorry. Um, each and every week, they, they do that. And I think they also serve uh, as greeters. Um, and then here's something that you probably don't know. They, uh, they actually retired this year from, uh, from serving Sunday school. And, and I, I knew they'd done it the whole time I was here. I didn't know how long they'd done it. They'd been serving in Sunday school since harvest opened. So like 35 years, something like that, like crazy. So I was just thinking the other day about how many kids, including all of my kids, have, have been taught about Jesus by, by them faithfully serving. So thank you, thank you, thank you, um, right? Because kids' ministry matters, right? Right now, these kids, they're learning about Jesus, right? They, they don't know the word theology, but man, their theology is being shaped 
um, which thank you. We've had we've had uh, we had people step up so that we have enough teachers. We we still need some more like assistance, but we have enough teachers finally for our kids back there, which is great. But if if you're like, man, I, I don't know how to teach kids, but you could be back there and help a teacher. We still need some of that. You can talk to Bonnie. But other ways we've got people serving. We we recently started a finance team so that we could. We can just take some of that off the plate of the elders to free up the elders to, to do um, some, some different ministry. Um, man, we got a group working on women's ministry. Uh, the women's tea is, is coming up, and I'm, I'm excited. I'm not just excited for that event, but I think it's going to be a launching pad really for women's discipleship here as, as women link, link arms together and, and say, let's, let's follow Christ together. Um, we've got a group that's getting ready to meet and talk about our interior of this church. Um, it needs some help. <laughs> it needs a little facelift. I love this building, but um, it's, it is a little dated. And we've got some people that are gifted in that. They're going to get together and, and talk and, and meet with a, with a professional interior designer. Um, and you don't want the elders there, right? Like, I'm going to show up, but I, I'm going to show up just to be helpful. Like, you, you don't want me, you don't want me picking out colors in this room, <laughs> Right? Like, e- even if I could do it, it would be agonizing for me. Um, it would take me forever. W- what you want me agonizing over is prayer for our body. Y- you, want me, you want me pouring o- o- over the word, studying as we're in Acts every week. You, you want me praying through what does our, our church need? So the-, the apostles, they knew their priorities, right? They knew their priorities, and, and they had this-, this lane that God had given them. And they were going to do their best to stay in that lane as much as they could. And, and what they did in wisdom was they, they invited others to join, right? And we don't, we don't read about all the ways that people serve. But, but, you know, like the longer they went, the more they had people serving in the ways that the Holy Spirit had gifted them. So they took these seven men, um, these godly men, they laid their hands on them, they prayed and, and let them loose. And then look at the result in verse 7, right? The Word of God. Uh, continued to increase. The number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. A great many of priests became obedient to the faith. And we'll get to that next week. But, but what, what happens with this problem in the church? Well, the church, uh, the church they grow, right? They, they listen, they acknowledge the problem. They, they came up with a plan, identified some, some new leaders, and, and, and they grow. And more and more people came to be disciples trusting in Jesus. So uh, just to end, I, I just wonder, how are you contributing? Right? How are you contributing to gospel work? And I, I'm not saying we don't have people contributing. We've got a lot of people doing a lot of things. It, it is great. Um, but if you aren't, let's find a place for you. Right? If you are serving, um, I think one of the best ways to identify other people is, is, is to, to look for, man, who could do this thing that I'm doing? Right? Who, who could do this thing right now? And then nerd out like that guy in the salad bar, right? That taught me everything I needed to know. Like teach them what you have learned. Let's pray. Jesus, you are good. We, we thank you, God, that, that you, uh, not only that you, you love us and, and save us, but, but you equip us to do the gospel work. Um, you, you equip us to be a part of this ministry of reconciliation. So Lord, we we thank you, and, and we're, um, I'm dumbfounded, Lord, that, that you would let us be a part of what you want to do uh, to save people. So, Jesus, would we be faithful to you? God, would we, would we be so hungry to use our gifts? Would we, would we be so humble that we're ready to listen, and we're ready to, to pivot and make changes in, in, in ministry and objectives?